Saturday, June 24th, 2023. I'm Ryan Schmelz. President Biden's son Hunter has reached a plea agreement, but might not be out of the woods yet. There's no reason Congress cannot look to see whether he was treated more leniently, the same, or more harshly than other defendants under the same fact pattern. I'm Jared Halpern. House Republicans tap the brakes on articles of impeachment. At some point, though, it's going to be a question as to what is enough for the Republican base. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. After a five-year investigation, Hunter Biden has agreed to plead guilty on two tax violations and a separate felony charge of possession of a firearm by a person who is an unlawful user of or addicted to a controlled substance. With the deal likely leading to Hunter Biden avoiding jail time, Republicans like House Speaker Kevin McCarthy were quick to criticize the deal, saying he got special treatment. If you are the president's son, you get a sweetheart deal while Democrats like Jamal Bowman are shooting down accusations of collusion. I think Republicans are just trying to distract the American people from what's important. This all comes as Republicans say their oversight committee investigation into the Biden family's business dealings will continue. I guess my first reaction is what in the world took so long? Former South Carolina Congressman Trey Gowdy used to chair that same committee and says there's now even more Republicans could look into. I mean, there are some really complicated cases in the criminal justice system. I mean, imagine prosecuting a murder case with no body, a complicated fraud scheme, some commodities or securities scheme. Those can be really complicated. But when it comes to whether or not you paid your taxes on time, you literally need a calendar and the absence of a document. It doesn't get any easier than that. But if you were looking for a case easier than whether or not you paid your taxes on time, it would be whether or not you made uh, material omissions or misrepresentations in the purchase of a firearm. Are you a convicted felon? I mean, that is not an essay question. That's a true or false question. Are you a habitual user of drugs and alcohol or or, uh, unlawful substances? So what took so long? Beyond that, and I know this is not popular to say, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not right. I do not know enough about how this district handles similarly situated defendants. It's two misdemeanors and a, and a diversion, uh, which means there'll be no, uh, it, it will likely be expunged. It is the same as if it never happened if he successfully completes the diversion. In the uh, six years that I was a federal prosecutor, I put a whopping zero people into diversion. I just, I never did it. Um, It wasn't done very often in my district. So I get people wanting to know, you know, was it a slap on the wrist? A slap on the wrist with a velvet glove. No question. What I don't know was whether other people who also faced similar cases received similar outcomes which is really why Congress needs to look into that fact pattern more. The case is over, right? I mean, when he pleads guilty and when he's sentenced, it is over. So there's no reason Congress cannot look to see whether he was treated 
more leniently the same or more harshly than other defendants under the same fact pattern. And how would that work? You know, where, where would Congress go from here if they wanted to look into that? Oh, that, that would not be hard. Dear U.S. Attorney in Delaware, send me for the last 10 years all adjudications for failure to pay taxes on time. That's not the end of the inquiry, but that's the beginning of the inquiry. The other thing you would need to do is ask the IRS, how many people did you not prosecute at all? How many people did you simply say, we're going to let you pay your taxes now with a significant penalty, but we're not going to prosecute you criminally? So the IRS and the U.S. attorney and a pretty simple search can tell you. With the gun case, it's ATF and not the IRS. You ask ATF, how many cases did you prosecute in the last decade? How many cases did you make? for lying while you were buying a firearm, lying and buying cases, with the prohibition being the habitual user of unlawful drugs. Uh, there are like a dozen categories of people who cannot lawfully possess a firearm. Court-martial, convicted felon, also uh, someone who is not in the country lawfully, but it also includes habitual users of unlawful drugs. I, I can tell you that case is rarely made. It, it is rarely made, but it's also, when you get right down to it, I mean, how do you prove someone is a habitual user? Usually they're not like, <laughs> there's not a laptop of them with pictures of them smoking cocaine base. They're, they're not a lot of interviews where they admit that they were addicts. So those cases are actually not made very often. And so, so this would likely be different than than what you know what the oversight committee is dealing with when it comes to investigating the money trail with the Biden family, because you know we've been to these press conferences and they have charts on charts and different timelines of everything, and it's it can be very confusing for anybody who's just seeing this for the first time. Would you think this, this obtaining documents that are needed for something like this would be a lot easier? Do you think that? No question, and here's why. So what the Bureau or any law enforcement agency and the Department of Justice, what they always tell Congress is we are not going to provide you information about an ongoing investigation. That's what they always say. Um, and so Congress's, you know, then reaction is, well, it's been ongoing forever. I mean, when is it going to not be an ongoing investigation? When are you going to make a decision whether you're going to charge or not? Because, I mean, the decision not to charge is also reviewable by Congress. If, if you're a member of Congress and your law enforcement agencies have plenty of evidence to charge someone, I mean, just take Hunter Biden out of it, just plenty of evidence to charge someone, but they're not doing it, aren't you entitled to know why? I mean, Congress created the FBI. Congress funds the FBI on an annual basis. So why in the world would you not be entitled to ask Number one, tell me about this case that just ended. Because you can't say that's an ongoing investigation because he just went to court. It's over. And oh, by the way, also, I need to know about this, quote, ongoing investigation that's been ongoing forever. This is where the tension between the branches comes in. The executive branch is going to say, we're not going to tell you. It's an ongoing investigation. The legislative branch is going to say, well, gosh, it sure looks to us like you're trying to run out the clock. 
either the statute of limitations clock or the election clock. So I'll tell you what, we can't make you do it. A court's not going to make you do it. But I'll tell you what we will do. We're going to cut your appropriations until you show us what we want to see. Now, how did Chairman Comer get the most recent information from the FBI? He had to threaten contempt of Congress. And when he threatened it, then he got some documents. And look, I was late to the party. As a former federal prosecutor, those are not the kind of FBI agents I worked with. They were wonderful women and men and very conscientious about their job. So it took me a little while to come to grips with the fact that uh, the Bureau needs scrutiny, oversight, review, just as much, if not more, than any other governmental entity. So they, they're going to hide behind this ongoing investigation. And in the old days, that might have been enough. Okay, we don't want to mess this ongoing terrorism case up. We don't want to mess up this ongoing bank robbery case. I, I get all that. But the Bureau has lost the presumption of credibility. They've lost the presumption of authenticity. So my guess is either Comer or Jimmy Jordan are going to want to look at both. What's already happened and what has not happened, keep in mind, there, there can be evidence enough to investigate but not convict. There can be evidence, but it's not admissible evidence. So I'm not prejudging the facts. What I am saying is there's a lot more reason to investigate this Biden fact pattern, then there was Russia collusion. A lot more probable cause. I mean, you had a conversation in a bar with Trump. That, that is not great evidence. In fact, that's pretty lousy evidence. But yet it resulted in a full-fledged counterintelligence investigation. There's a lot more here. Whether it results in criminality or not, I don't know. But Congress is entitled to ask the Bureau, what are you doing and what is taking you so long? Now, I'm happy you touched on the uh, Department of Justice and how people are kind of viewing that right now, because uh, some of the reaction we've heard on Capitol Hill this week, we hear sweetheart deal. We hear um, slap on the wrist, two tier justice system when talking about the plea deal that Hunter Biden was able to come to with his legal team uh, in the in the um, U.S. attorney's office. You know, do you agree with that sentiment that this is a two tier justice system and an example of that? Um, I would say yes and don't know. There's no question the Bureau and the Department are politicized. No question. And I can give you a great fact pattern that's got nothing to do with Hunter Biden. Rachel Rollins was the U.S. attorney in Massachusetts. I don't know if your listeners have heard of her, but she was the that was who Ed Markey and Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden wanted to be the top federal prosecutor in Massachusetts. Well, she engaged in, uh, in a host of misconduct was interviewed by the Department of Justice, and they concluded she made false statements during that interview. Okay, you and I can name a lot of people that were prosecuted for making false statements uh, to investigators, but she was not. And I have yet to hear why she was not. She was allowed to resign, but she was not prosecuted. Jeff Fortenberry was. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry, they tried to take it. They took his job. They took his life savings, and they tried to take his freedom. Rachel Rollins, they did nothing except a mildly critical article in Politico. 
So there's no doubt there's a two-tier justice system. Whether or not Hunter Biden pleading to two misdemeanors and a diversion in a gun case is your best evidence of that, I, I think that there are much more compelling examples because, again, I need to know how many people were investigated and or pled guilty to these counts and what sentences did they receive. If they received sentences that were much more serious than what Hunter Biden, then yes. But but what if what if they handled everyone who who didn't pay their taxes on time the same way? Then that would not be your best piece of evidence that it's a two tier justice system. And that's one of the mistakes Republicans make sometimes. There's great evidence that our justice system has been politicized. Fantastic evidence. So don't cite your weakest piece of evidence when you're making your argument. And when we talk about David Weiss, though, this was a a U.S. attorney who was appointed uh, by former President Trump. You know, he's been overseeing this case since 2018 Um, in many ways. And I'm sure you saw Brett's interview when he brought up all the different members of the Trump administration who Trump now is critical of and those who are now critical of him. Uh, You know, should Republicans point their blame at, at, at Trump in many ways because he's the one who appointed this U.S. attorney? Well, I would say two things on that. Um, there are more Republicans in this conversation than there are in the state of Delaware. So you've got two Democrat senators in Delaware. I mean, you think President Trump knows all the lawyers in Delaware? Somebody had to recommend this guy. Usually it's U.S. senators. But if you're in a state where there is no Republican, I mean, is there a Republican in the entire congressional delegation in Delaware? I don't think so. So where did the name come from? I mean, the fact that Trump, quote, nominated him, put him forward, for all I know, the name came from Chris Coons and Tom Carper, whom I think are the senators from Delaware, although I wouldn't bet a lot of money that my memory is good. I think those are the two senators from Delaware. So, yes, the chances that Donald Trump knew this attorney are probably de minimis, So that's point A. Point B, if somebody wants to make the argument that Jeff Sessions was the most qualified person in America to be the attorney general, I'd I'd love to hear that argument. That's who the president picked, Rex Tillerson. he, He picked all of his chiefs of staff. He picked all of the secretaries of defense. I mean, at some point, you have to say, I made a mistake. Yeah, I mean, you're welcome to you're welcome to then say, let me tell you why or let me tell you how. Uh, I don't want to go into conversations I've had with him. I haven't talked to him in quite some time, but but I, I have in the past asked him about some of these choices. And I think what he would say is he got bad counsel from other people that he did not know them, but he relied upon other people. Well, where I come from, I'm still responsible. My chief of staff tells me you know, recommends I do something, ultimately it's still my responsibility. But more importantly, when it comes to the attorney general, I mean, what, what more important pick do you make than that one? I can get, I, I understand getting one of the however many, you know, probably close to 100 U.S. attorneys. I understand, you know, maybe not batting 100 there, but there's only one attorney general. It's one of the most important decisions you'll make. And according to President Trump, he's now 0 for 2 
He didn't like Sessions. He doesn't like Bill Barr. Didn't like Rod Rosenstein. Kept Jim Comey. Replaced him temporarily with Andy McCabe and then Chris Ray. At some point, you got to explain how you got those decisions wrong if you think you got them wrong. And if we could uh, kind of touch on these charges just a little bit here. So we have two misdemeanor counts of willful failure to pay income tax. Uh, what does that mean for, for Hunter Biden's legal team and what, what kind of punishment could we be looking at? Well, it's a misdemeanor, so you can't get more than uh, than a year in prison. You're not going to get that. I mean, that's the statutory maximum. That's the other thing I would advise your listeners. Don't ever pay attention to the statutory maximum. I mean, people that say Donald Trump is facing hundreds of years in prison, that's if you get the maximum on every count and run them consecutively, which never happens. So 12 months is the maximum. People who plead to misdemeanors don't get active jail sentences. Um, Almost always they don't get active jail sentences. You raise another good point, though. I was actually having a conversation with uh, John Lee Ratcliffe, who's the former director of national intelligence under President Trump. You know, and speaking of which, in President Trump's defense, he would tell you he got it right with John Lee Ratcliffe. That was a pick he got right. But John was also a former U.S. attorney. Here's what we don't know, or I don't know. Was that the most serious charge that you could have brought against Hunter Biden? The willful failure to pay taxes. Okay, you need a calendar and the absence of a tax return. Is that the most serious case you could have brought? Because the fact that he was allowed to plead to an information charging that misdemeanor, maybe you had probable cause of a more serious offense. So there is benefit in pleading to a misdemeanor unless that is the most serious charge that could have been brought. So I need to look at the file to say, no, 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 you actually could have charged this. You could have charged a more complicated or more uh, more serious offense than that, and you decided not to do so. So without those facts, I can't tell you whether that was the most serious charge under that particular fact pattern. I can tell you he's not going to jail for two misdemeanors, and the other count, which is a felony, lying and buying on a firearms application, that's going through uh, pretrial, what we call pretrial intervention. They call diversion, and it will not even result in a conviction. And and, and so, you know, it, uh, I believe the maximum penalty for that would be 10 years, right? It, but, but it looks like, based off this plea deal, as long as he follows his diversion program, uh, you know, passes all of his drug tests and, and passes all of his checkups, he, he's going to you know, pretty much avoid this charge potentially altogether, right? That's correct. But I, I also would advise your listeners, the way sentencing works in federal court, yes, the maximum you can get is 10 years for lying and buying or using a straw person to purchase a firearm. 10 years is the maximum. But that is not the way they compute sentences in the federal system. A big variable is your criminal history. And I don't think Hunter Biden, I mean, don't hold me to this. I don't need criminal history at all. No prior convictions. So that's a zero. Then you use the guidelines. Was the gun used in commission of a crime? Um, I, don't, I, mean, I haven't heard any evidence of that. So his guideline range would be nowhere near 10 years. Even if he pled guilty straight up to that, which is a felony, the more significant part is that he's not a convicted felon at the end of all of this. So 
the jail time, look, I, I did homicide cases. I, I, I probably put more people on death row than I'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to think of any men, member of Congress who's got more people waiting in the gallows than I have. So I'm not soft on crime, but I don't know what an active prison sentence is going to do for someone uh, who committed a non first time offender who committed a nonviolent crime. So the, yeah, the we're, lack of we're probably not looking at any jail time, are we? Right. None, none, but but also neither would you or I be looking at jail time for this. So it's not just Hunter Biden. I mean, it, it, it's a no criminal history, first time offender. Now, what I don't know, would they allow us to go into PTI or pretrial diversion? It is a big deal to not be a felon. I mean, you got to list that on almost every form from applying for bank loans, all of that stuff. Being a felon's a big deal and not in a good way. They're allowing him to not be a convicted felon. Would they do that for me or you? I don't know. But Chairman Comer and Chairman Jordan, if they want to, are fully entitled to go ask Delaware, how many other people under this charge did you put in a diversion program? And so last question here, you know, uh, we've got an oversight committee investigation going on into the Biden family and, and their business dealings and whether or not there was an alleged bribery scheme that happened or not. What does this charge and this deal mean for that investigation, you think? It depends. Um, it, here under the heading of things, I don't know, but wish I did. Did they interview Hunter Biden in connection with the tax and gun investigations? Did they interview him? Did they ask to interview him? I mean, he's got a he's got a right not to talk to law enforcement. But did they ask? Did he sit down for an interview? Did they ask him about anything unrelated to taxes or the failure to pay taxes and the gun? In other words, did they ask him about bribery, about influence peddling? I mean, if they didn't ask, then I need to know why, why, why you didn't. Here's the main thing that Comer and Jordan, I think the main point. Uh, and they're both very, very capable. So I know they're going to make this point. There are multiple layers of scrutiny and review after an arrest, a conviction, a prosecution, a sentencing. You and I have been applying scrutiny right now in the aftermath of a decision to charge someone. What about the decision not to charge someone? Where is the scrutiny there? Where is the oversight over whether or not the FBI had enough evidence but decided not to go forward. And the tension is going to come because Chris Ray is going to say this is an ongoing investigation, and Jordan and Comer are going to say, yeah, and it's been ongoing since the continent separated, and you're trying to run out the clock and get past the next election or past the statute of limitations, and we're not going to let that happen. We're going to do it right now. And that's where the tension will come. I don't think it's going to be oversight or judiciary that gets the Bureau's attention. It will be the Appropriations Committee when they start cutting funding. Congressman Trey Gowdy, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Senators won't become impeachment trial jurors just yet. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy this week was able to defuse a snap vote called by Colorado conservative Republican Lauren Boebert to impeach President Biden. 
Boebert used a legislative strategy called a privileged resolution, forcing a vote without any committee hearings or procedural steps historically reserved for the serious task of impeaching a president or any other federal officer for that matter. Instead, the resolution approved by the GOP-controlled House sends the impeachment resolution to two committees, the Judiciary Committee and the Homeland Security Committee. That impeachment episode followed another snap vote, this one to censure California Democrat Adam Schiff. Republicans say he abused his power as Intelligence Committee chairman last Congress to spread falsehoods about the Russia investigation. Florida conservative Anna Paulina Luna forced that vote, again using the same strategy as Boebert to fast-track the resolution. Both votes reveal a challenge for McCarthy. House rules allow for any member to call these types of votes, even without the go-ahead of party leadership, and it is signaling a growing impatience, especially from the House Freedom Caucus, about the multiple investigations surrounding President Biden. And Fox News senior Capitol Hill correspondent Chad Pergram says he's hearing from Republicans also concerned about political backfiring. It probably helps Adam Schiff politically. In fact, I had talked to uh, Mark Baraback, who's the political columnist for the Los Angeles Times, and he described this effort as an in-kind donation to the Schiff Senate campaign. Uh, Dianne Feinstein, the Democratic Senator from California is retiring in early 2025, and Adam Schiff is running against, and this is just kind of how they, they work out the primary system in California, Katie Porter, Democrat from California, Barbara Lee, the Democratic congresswoman from Oakland. And uh, to get in that runoff, you know, you, you preferably want two from your own party, which is sometimes what happens in, in some of these races and in, in state, on the statewide level in California. And it probably helps Adam Schiff in that sense. Uh, you know, it also doesn't look like much on the House floor. You you vote to censure somebody. They've only uh, actually censured about two dozen members in, in House history. And so once the House votes to censure you, you come down to the well and the Speaker reads uh, literally a couple of sentences and wraps the gavel and you are censured. And the scene with Adam Schiff uh, the past couple of days, it was very different than what we've seen before. I remember when Charlie Rangel was censured, uh, there was, and it was a pretty bipartisan censure in the case of mm -hmm. Charlie Rangel. That was a big ethics. His... It involved ethics yes, and campaign. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he came down to the well. His head was down. His, yeah. his you know, hands were folded in front of him. And, and, and Speaker Pelosi at the time read the sentence, could barely hear her, frankly, and then wrapped the gavel very lightly. Where here you had Democrats all surrounding Adam Schiff, heckling Kevin McCarthy on the yeah. dais, chanting shame, shame. Uh, it, it, I mean, it didn't look like any sort of... It did not have the solemnity of a sentence. No, it didn't. No, you're right. And the other thing I was struck by, maybe you can help explain, maybe if there was politics involved or just scheduling issues. Politics? Uh, I was the, Jared, well, really? sure, no. But I was, well, so I was in the House chamber for the debate that they were doing on the resolution. And Congresswoman uh, Anna Polina Luna, who... Uh, sponsored the, this uh, uh, censure uh, resolution, uh, was leading it for the Republicans. You had uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie Raskin leading uh, the, the debate for the Democrats. And there were, you know, dozens of Democrats lined up to speak. And they did. And very few Republicans. And, and it became right. a source almost of some needling that, that Raskin threw over to Congresswoman Luna. Why was that? Why did not more Republicans show up to, to speak about this censure? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, I think some of them, even though they were willing to vote for censure, uh, they really didn't want to do that. Number two, this resolution did not go through committee. We mentioned Charlie Rangel, the ethics process yeah, and investigation. Ethics, yeah. 
uh, but it plays well in your district. And if you're able to, in many Republican districts, and go back and say, all right, here we go. And this was kind of a unilateral effort by Anna Paulina Luna. Uh, you know, this is both, you know, to the detriment and success of Kevin McCarthy, the idea that he wants, at least in, in theory, to empower more members uh, to do what they want. So Luna, you know, about a week and a half ago, she concocted another privilege resolution uh, to censorship. And you had 20 Republicans join the Democrats to table this. Yeah. The reason is that it automatically imposed a $16 million fine on Adam Schiff. And some members said, wait a minute, you know, they're going to be fining us, you know, left and right. Yeah. When Democrats get in control, let's just not go there. So this censure, uh, again, even though it's not been used too much uh, over the years, uh, th this was kind of a low grade attack on Adam Schiff uh, and, and probably helps him politically. And, and if you're a Republican, Adam Schiff is not, uh, you know, very popular in your district back home, uh, certainly after the Russia probe. And, and if somebody questions questions you about it, you can say, well, yes, I voted to, to censure Adam Schiff. And that's that. You know, you can't argue with that. Right. OK, so let's talk about the other. And, and you also mentioned something that's important because it ties into the, the other issue here I wanted to talk to you about. And that is that uh, the congresswoman here uh, used a uh, privileged resolution to do mm -hmm. this. So to bypass the committee process, fast track this, get it on the floor immediately. The same strategy that Congresswoman Lauren Boebert used to try and advance impeachment articles against President Biden. Um, and this uh, was a big headache for Kevin McCarthy, who had to uh, sort of figure out a, a workaround here to not uh, upset the base, upset his members, but also not kind of you know be flippant, I think in his words, with something well, he called as what he called what Lauren Boebert impeachment. That's right. He called what Lauren Boebert was trying to do flippant um, yeah. because she, again, a privileged resolution. In fact, it, now, let me just take a, a step back here. You know, again, I talked about when you're going to censure somebody, you're certainly going to impeach somebody. You want to go through the process. You want to go yeah. to committees. Think about during the first impeachment trial of, of former President Trump. We can talk about the second one that was handled much differently yeah. because was much of the riot. But, but the first one, when but the was first in one, yeah. weeks and months of depositions, oh, hearings. Yeah activity on the floor, then a Senate trial. I mean, this went on for, you know, this consumed about five, six months here on Capitol Hill. So here, it, nothing says in the Constitution that if you just put an impeachment resolution on the floor and if it's passed, that you're impeached. That's simple. Yeah. And so McCarthy is like, OK, we're having these resolutions come up from these right wing members. Uh, it's going to put some of our more moderate members or those in battleground districts in a tough spot uh, to vote on this stuff all the time. We talked about fixing the economy and inflation and just sticking it to Biden uh, isn't enough. We have investigations going on there. And so he had to figure out a way to cut this off at the pass. And I asked Anna Paulina Luna this the other day. She said, well, maybe she said maybe this is the new regular order, even though Democrats mm. were criticized by Republicans for not you know, going through committee on all bills and everything else. And mm. Republicans crowed from the mountaintops about we're going to adhere to the regular order. So now they're not adhering to the regular order. And so now now, Anna Paulina Luna says, well, maybe we're going to create a new regular order. So if they do that, it, the other thing it creates is a lot of headaches for Republicans. And yeah. so what Kevin McCarthy had to do, because you could have a motion to table this and then some mm -hmm. Republicans. And, now that, that, who, that, and when we say that just in the parlance of, of legislation, yes. that's killing it. That is it kills away it. It sets it aside. Yeah. It punts it. That's right. Yeah. So. He's like, all right, I've got to figure out a way to deal with this. And so what what they did is they crafted a provision to refer it to two committees, the Judiciary Committee, which handles all impeachments and the Homeland Security Committee, because that deals specifically 
with uh, some of the allegations that Lauren Boebert lodged in her resolution, it deals with the which border, deals with, with the border and, 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 and so on. Now, here's the problem for the Republicans. So you, if you're a Republican and you're kind of like, OK, I'm not a fan of Joe Biden, but I can't vote to impeach or I don't want to impeach and I represent a swing district, what do I do? If I vote to table, then I have all these uh, you know, right-wing Republicans mm-hmm. coming after me in a primary or something like that, that's a problem. So Kevin McCarthy had to figure out a way to inoculate hit those folks, but also kind of truncate what Lauren Boebert was trying to do. And so the resolution that they're gonna vote on, which it also prevents Democrats from offering a motion to table here as well, mm-hmm. It sends this to the Judiciary Committee and to the Homeland Security Committee. And then you can say, well, we're investigating this. Well, but those committees uh, Lauren are Boebert said, investigating. Well, that's what Lauren Boebert said. She said, I'm tired of investigating. And the problem for the Republican Party is on the far right, you have people who want scalps. And they're like, you know, I've talked about this with you before. Uh, you know, James Comer, the chair of the Oversight Committee, uh, you know, Emily Post would be very pleased with him. You know, he's always writing these letters to different you know, figures in the Biden investigation and everything here and calling people for depositions. But in the body politic on the right right now, that does not do enough. And so they they're out for red blood. And, and if you don't get that at some stage, you know, what is that going to do? So Kevin McCarthy is able to kind of punt on this. I did ask Lauren Boebert. I interviewed her this past week and I said, you know, you did not even go to the Republican conference meeting. This is a meeting where all Mm -hmm. Republicans sit down and talk. And actually, maybe had Anna Paulina Luna done a little bit of more homework, she she kind of bragged to me how she had put together this resolution on her own, and they had the $16 million, and they had to do a mulligan and come back and do it again. But, uh, you know, but so Lauren Boebert said it would have been a waste of her time to go and talk to her fellow Republicans about this. She, she said, with my busy schedule. Now, never mind that this is what all Republicans and Democrats do. You go when you have a proposal of this import and you talk to your colleagues and you answer questions and they say, well, why don't we do it this way? Why don't we do it this way? And you kind of work out something. She said it was a waste of her time to do that. And she also had said it's time for some of these Republicans. And this is true, too. A lot of these Republicans talk a good game about because, again, the nature of their districts, Uh, they know that impeachment is probably might be a bridge too far for them. So they talk about impeachment, but they have no action, no intention on taking action on that. And that's precisely what Lauren Boebert, at least from her perspective, wanted to trigger in this incident. And that's what she's gotten. At least they're going to have a vote. It's not going to be a vote up or down on impeachment. But, uh, you know, starting to go down that road. What did we learn from these two events about the speakership of Kevin McCarthy? Because you and I have talked a lot about his speakership, how he came in um, kind of in a weakened position going through the 15 rounds, but uh, was able to you know, get his conference in line on the bipartisan deal to avoid a default and um, is sort of bringing together different groups of Republicans uh, on some other spending issues. Uh, But this was a case where you had these two members kind of go around him to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. no? Well, yes. Uh, This is how Kevin McCarthy stays in power a little bit, is that he is able to uh, let members do things like this. Uh, At some point, that political capital might work with that group, although they're not, even though he's letting them do that, that doesn't exactly, you know, he doesn't put more capital in the bank by doing that with Mm -hmm. them. It seems like they always have a grievance with him. Uh, By the same token, that capital is going to run out with these more moderate Republicans or mainstream Republicans who are going to say, wait a minute, 
Uh, we're not voting on legislation. They're making us take all these bad votes. Uh, look at the members. You know, they picked up all these seats in New York State. Uh, and that's the reason that Republicans have the majority. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, again, we were hearing mm -hmm. talk of 40, 50, 60 seats at one point, and they barely have the majority right now. Had they not won those races in those moderate districts, those swing districts in New York State, they would not have it. And at some point, those types, those types of members from New York State or other places are going to come out of the woodwork and say, Mr. Speaker, this is not working for us. Or they get clocked in the election in 2024. What did the plea deal as it relates to Hunter Biden, who yes. has certainly been a focus of, of these committees, the Oversight Committee in particular seems to be running point on, on this investigation into what they mm -hmm. allege is a, a bribery scheme, not just by the president's son, but perhaps connected to the president as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was none of those allegations were included in these charges here from the Justice Department. Does that derail in any way what, what James Comer, the chairman of the Oversight Committee, is doing over the next couple it, of weeks? It certainly doesn't derail it. It probably emboldens them more mm -hmm. because they say what sort of DOJ, you know, what are they running here? They have a lot of criticisms with the DOJ to start with. Uh, the, the, the term that I heard used over and over again around Capitol Hill is that it was a sweetheart deal. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea that they had, you know, just because he was the president's son, uh, he somehow got off, you know, scot-free. And of course, that plays to the, you know, the political right, obviously, and they've been curating this narrative for quite some time, that there are problems with the DOJ. And so by doing this, they're able to, to say, oh, there goes the DOJ again. And, and that's something that they will apply uh, toward the election in 2024 with, with President Biden. Uh, you didn't hear many Democrats saying that, of course. Uh, Democrats uh, you know, said, look, what, what, what else would you want? You know, th this is the plea deal. Then Republicans said, oh, but it wasn't enough. I mean, it, it was probably never enough, no matter to the Republicans what they would have come up with. And if they didn't come up with anything, then you know what they'd say there, too. <laughs> so, I mean, what what's the timeline? I mean, what what is the the game plan here? Congress now about to leave for two weeks um, mm -hmm. when they come back uh, after the, the Independence Day, the July 4th recess. Should we expect these hearings that the Oversight Committee does, that the Judiciary Committee does, that the Homeland Security Committee does to really ramp up and, and really start pressing, uh, you know, are, are we going to see Hunter Biden uh, raise his right hand at a committee hearing? I mean, wh what is the, the, the game plan here? Well, they can't hide behind, you know, the idea that there's an investigation now with Hunter Biden. If, you know, th that's something that would be an interesting dynamic. You certainly had uh, President Trump's uh, relatives come and appear uh, on different occasions, not charged with anything, but, the, you know, they certainly came and, and talked to different committees during the Russia investigation on yeah. Capitol Hill. Um, well, and, and, they, and they, they talked to investigators connected to the January 6th committee. Yes, exactly. And so you could see some of that. Uh, at some point, though, it, it's going to be a question as to what is enough for the Republican base. And if you're if they have not impeached President Biden and they have not impeached Alejandro Mayorkas mm -hmm. and, you know, what else have they done with that by that point? You know, the right wing base is going to be very upset. And some of the members uh, who advocate those positions will be upset. Um, so what do they do with that? Uh, you know, they can. They, I mean, again, they're running against their own party is what they're really doing at that stage. And this brings us back to the question that you raised about what does it mean for Kevin McCarthy? Um, you know, he had an, he had his own revolt on the House floor where they couldn't get any. They couldn't even get their own gas right. stove bill done. You know, they talked about <laughs> gas stoves and the Biden Which is administration a, a was a big Republican messaging bill. Yeah, it was going to come after your gas stoves and then. Yeah. 
you know. So um, <laughs> you'll have a lot of noise about this, sometimes smoke, sometimes fire, yes, over the coming months, uh, but legislatively, not a lot. The only other things they have to do this year is fund the government. And also, <laughs> I like how you reauthor- say the only like like that's a that, that that's not going to be an issue. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and that's going to c- consume most of that. So, so I mean, but this is the thing: there's not a lot of legislative traffic that the Republicans have, yeah. and that they and the reason they don't have a lot of legislative traffic is they don't have agreement on their side, even on something like gas stoves, mind you. Right. Uh, let alone uh, doing something about inflation or you know you know getting the debt ceiling package together. So, what do you do when you don't? have bandwidth there. You do investigations and a lot of hearings, and and they've certainly done that, and they will continue to do that well into next year because they're teeing this up as something towards 2024 in the presidential election. And to be fair, that's what House Democrats did for the first two years or, or for the second two years, I should say, of the uh, the Biden, of the Trump administration, when they of the were, Trump, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, uh, when they were and, and this isn't yeah. a new thing. I yeah, mean, no, when Republicans what, got control of nineteen natives can do, yeah. When Republicans got control of the House for the first time in 1994, Dan Burton was a Republican from Indiana, and he was the chair of the Oversight Committee, and President Bill Clinton and Whitewater and mm-hmm. uh, you know all the all, this is all pre Monica Lewinsky, mind you. Mm-hmm. All of this was in the crosshairs. And this went Vince Foster, who was the White House counsel, whose mm-hmm. body was found in Fort Marcy Park. It just went on and on and on. And again, this is what happens in the House. And Henry Waxman, when he was the chair of the Oversight Committee and, and President George W. Bush was in office, the same thing. It's just what happens. Well, we'll continue to watch how it plays out over the next uh, few weeks. And to your uh, point, Chad, uh, getting into the uh, appropriation season, which is going to be a, a tough slot for Congress as well. So we'll keep having these Absolutely. chats. Appreciate the time as always. Thank you. Pleasure. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, the Supreme Court is likely entering its final week of this term and justices still have plenty to decide, including a challenge to President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan and affirmative action policies. Fox News Sunday anchor Shannon Breen will look at the docket for us. And Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy has a proposal to bring down the cost of college. He discusses it with Ryan Schmelz. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.